Welcome, it's good to be here. My name is Paul Buckley, one of the pastors here. And you can be turning in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Before we turn there though, let me um, just share with you briefly my thoughts on Jeff and Mickey transitioning. Um, It is bittersweet for us. It's sweet because we see the call of God, we see the gifts of God, we see a couple who loves the Lord and wants to in the, this season of their lives maximize those gifts for good, and so that's sweet, we're excited. Um, but as, often, uh, as it often goes, mission means loss, at least temporarily, and so it's bitter because we have to say goodbye, and, uh, but we have a lot of time to do that. We have till the end of May, and... Um, and so we'll take advantage of that time to convey to them our appreciation and our love for them and, and our hope as we pray for them and for the future. Um, so this is part of what it is, right, to follow the Lord. Uh, this is what it means as we walk through life. Uh, there are seasons and there are gains and there are losses. And yet, in the very end, as we go to live with the Lord forever, it will all be worth it. So, so we are trusting the Lord together with you guys. We love you guys. So we're going to start a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes. It'll take us into the summer. Isn't that a nice thought? That summer is coming at some point. Um, It'll take us there. Uh, We'll have some breaks here and there in the series, but I'll finish up sometime in June. This book is an important part of God's Word. Um, God's given us His Word to help us. It, It gives us what we need to walk with Him, to walk and experience this new life, Uh, in this broken world, um, to be on mission for Him, and the Word of God as a whole is what we need. And so we want to be a church that goes through all the Word of God, and this this book in particular uh, serves some unique roles in Scripture we'll get into as we go into this series. Uh, This book uh, will give us, I think, some wisdom we need in the day and age that we live. The title of the series will be What's the Use, Life in an Uncertain World? And it will deal extensively, honestly, and truthfully with the reality that life can be very uncertain at times. We need to hear what the Word of God, what God thinks about that reality. It doesn't help us to hurl platitudes at somebody who's dealing with the disappointments and the curveballs that life throws at us. It's poignant that this uh, book was preached last year at King's Cross, our sister church in Manchester. It was preached starting in May, and um, the first message in the sermon was entitled, Human Life is a Vapor, from chapter 1. Their chief worship leader and founding member, our good friend Bill O'Grady, listened to that message that Sunday, went home, recorded a worship song with his family, and subsequently suffered a massive cardiovascular failure, a uh, a aortic dissection from which he never recovered. Bill remained in a coma, and despite best efforts to save him, he died one month later. The last message he heard was on chapter one of this book, Human Life is a Vapor. Bill was at the prime of his life. Bill was a force for the kingdom, for his family, his church, and for New England. 
We had great hopes for Bill as well within our denomination, Trinity Fellowship Churches, as far as providing leadership on worship. Bill was a successful businessman who had labored for Christ in all he did. He was the father of a wonderful, large, and young family. And although we know that Bill is safely home with our Lord, humanly speaking, his totally unexpected and untimely death makes little sense. It was as if that what happened to Bill was the chief illustration of the sermon that he heard that day. That human life is, is a vapor, here for a moment, but elusive, amorphous, present but unstable. And the reality is, illustrated through Bill's life and through our own lives, that this side of eternity, life is full of such vapors. And the book of Ecclesiastes is here for us, lest we retreat into shallow platitudes and Pollyanna answers to this confusing and difficult reality of life. Ecclesiastes stares life in the face and calls it for what it is, but offers a way to live amidst life's uncertainties. So I am looking forward to what the Lord's going to teach us through the book of Ecclesiastes, because we need the wisdom that's here. We need to learn to live in this life that is so full of uncertainties and can be so perplexing at times. I trust and I know that God is intending to use this book to help us. So what I want to do today is begin to look at the book. We're going to dig into chapter 1, but we're also going to do an overview of the entire book and some key things that it does. And I trust, again, this is a start to a whole series that God will use to teach us. So let's pray and ask His blessing on our time this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You bring answers that are real, authentic, and capable of helping us in every way. We thank You You've not left us alone, but You've given us Your Word and You've given us this wonderful book. And I pray, Lord, You'd help us to hear and to learn from it. I pray You'd help me, Lord, to teach it well and to teach this section as well in a way that we can hear You clearly and be led by You to live in faith, overcoming amidst this life full of uncertainty. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read in chapter 1, starting with verse 1. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Israel. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? 
It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after winds. God's word from Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 14. What I propose to you in this passage, in this whole book, is that this book teaches us how to live with uncertainty. How to live successfully with uncertainty. And so I want to dig into this passage. I want to first look at this uh, reality of what the ESV translates as vanity. We read in this passage, we're introduced in verse 1, to the preacher, uh, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He certainly appears from what we can see to be Solomon, uh, the king after David, famous for his wisdom, but he's never named as such in this book. Uh, nevertheless, as we look through it, the, the biographical descriptions throughout this book line up with the life of Solomon. But the point here isn't to give us a biography of Solomon, but, the, but to proclaim and to instruct us in the wisdom that comes from someone in his position and who's gone through such things and who has wisdom to, to guide us, to teach us. The word is uh, for this person is the preacher. Uh, it's more literally the assemblyman. Uh, it's the one who addresses or leads an assembly of some sort. So this applies in a synagogue or the temple or elsewhere. This person is a teacher, an instructor, a preacher, a proclaimer of wisdom. He introduces himself and then doesn't waste any time, right? Right there in verse 2, gets into things. He says, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is how the book starts and, and, and we see throughout this book uh, the word vanity is used 37 times, but only twice does it say vanity of vanities. It says it here in the beginning, verses, uh, verse one, um, chapter 1, verse 2. And then at the end of the book as well, if we could present, good, it's up there. At the end as well, it says vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So very parallel phrase here, section here between chapter 1, 1 and 2 and chapter 12, 8 through 10. The, the phrase vanity of vanities is used in both places. The preacher is introduced as one bringing words of truth. So this book is bookended by this statement of vanity of vanities and vanity of vanities on either end. And so we can take a hint from that, that this book is going to say something about life being vanity, even vanity of vanities. So this word is important, this word that's translated vanity. Now, of course, in the original language, it isn't vanity. That's an English word. This, is, this book is written in Hebrew. And that word is variously translated as things like vanity or meaningless or useless or empty or futile. Literally, the word is translated vapor. It's the word hevel in Hebrew. 
And it literally means vapor. None of the English translations quite capture the meaning of this word in Ecclesiastes because it's not merely the word vapor. It connotes something. It communicates something. It doesn't mean that something is useless. That's not the best translation. It doesn't mean something is meaningless. It doesn't mean that the thing it doesn't exist. It's entirely empty. It's more a word to communicate something that is elusive, unstable, something you cannot grasp, or you try to grasp it, and it disappears on you. That's this word vapor. I think it's well translated with the word uncertain or uncertainty. Um, it might be hard for us if it said, uh, was translated literally, vapor of vapors, all is vapor, but that is a literal translation of that phrase, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's vapor of vapors, all is vapor. Uncertainty of uncertainty, all is uncertainty. That's what the author is telling us here. So have that in mind as we go through this book. It's a book about the reality of uncertainty. That life is full of what really is like a vapor. You can't grab it. It's not stable. It's elusive. It's fleeting. It's passing. It's uncertain. And what the preacher does in this section is he goes on in verse 3 to start to illustrate this reality. That's what we see throughout this section. He's illustrating the reality that life is uncertain. Things are unstable. They don't remain the same. And he starts out here communicating the idea of toiling. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This word toil is used a lot in this book. It's used 20 times in the book. This idea of working hard and trying and, and, and putting out effort, trying to attain something. Like Sisyphus trying to roll that rock up the hill, working hard every day to get it to the top, only to have it roll back to the bottom once again, and then having the next day to start the same thing. There's this toil, there's hard work that, that can seem so empty and uncertain. He asks the question about what does man gain by toiling under the sun? That phrase is used 30 times in this book. This reality of life under the sun. The life in this world as we know it. Life in this world taking at, at, at what might be a face value. We see this throughout this book. The idea of striving in this broken world. And the preacher wants to prod us lest we put too much hope in what we might accomplish here. That's what this book is doing. It's prodding us to look at life Honestly, perhaps even cynically, but, but for the purpose of ultimately seeing the whole picture and living wisely. He goes on here to illustrate this idea of toil, this idea of the uncertainty. He says in verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. He will close this section, this poetic section, and there's a lot here in this book that's poetic, with the same sort of thing in verse 11, there, there is no remembrance of former things, nor there will be any remembrance of latter things yet to come among those who will come after. Uh, that word for things in that verse, verse 11, uh, is perhaps better translated as people, and therefore generations. 
And so as he says in, in verse 4, he, he bookends this poetic section with this idea. There's no remembrance of former generations, nor there will be any remembrance of later generations yet to be among those who come after. One generation comes and the next goes, and the earth remains forever. Generation after generation goes by, and it's the same thing over and over again. And the generations don't know what went before them. They don't know the previous generations. I've been struck by this actually recently. I've, I'm not related to Ecclesiastes, but we've been developing our family tree. Um, we use Ancestry.com and we've used uh, 23andMe. Some of our family members have, have taken the tests. And we've been able to discover fourth and fifth cousins, which is pretty wild. Um, we've been able to go back to even the 1700s, different great fifth, fifth generation, sixth generation great-grandparents. And I never knew much of this information. And we've been able to read about these people, but so often all we know is just the name, a birth date, maybe often it's just a birth year, a death date. That's all we have. And yet these lives that we're investigating represent full lives, just like our lives. These people, some live to 50, some live to 80-something. They live full lives. They do lots of things. They, they, they work jobs. They have friends. They live in houses. But we know nothing about that. And previous to being able to look into this through Ancestry.com, we didn't even know their names. I'm finding this about my great-grandparents even. There's so much I don't know about my grandparents, but my great-grandparents, I really don't know much about them at all. I don't know much more beyond a name and a birth date or a death date. It's been fascinating to learn more. Some of the ancestors I have uh, um, I've have notable things, and, and, and we never knew it. I don't know why. I have a, the earliest uh, American ancestor I have uh, was uh, my great-great-grandfather. And he served in the Civil War. He actually was taken prisoner. He was a war, Civil War hero. was taken prisoner and was jailed at Andersonville, which if you know about it, was like Auschwitz. It was a terrible place. He survived and came back and raised a family. That's the most notable thing that we have. But so many generations we don't know. And all these people related to me that I don't know, I found out I went to high school with my third cousin. And I, I know who he was. And he was just another guy amidst you know, all my high school classmates. But he's my third cousin. Ecclesiastes names well this phenomenon. A generation comes and a generation goes and we have no idea what their lives were like. There's no record. The next generation comes, they don't know the previous generations. It's forgotten. And this goes on generation after generation after generation. There's this uncertainty, this vapor aspect of life. We live our lives and then they're gone and nobody knows what went on. He goes on in this section to illustrate this with, with the weather. In verses 5 to 7, he speaks of the sun and, and the wind and the water doing pretty much the same thing. There are these endless cycles. The sun rises, the sun goes down, it goes back to the place where it rises, it happens again. The wind blows to the south, it goes around to the north. Around and around the wind goes, on its circuit the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. The water cycle goes on and on and on. The same thing over and over again. He goes on from that in verse, uh, verse 8 and following to speak of really the, the endless cycles of, of the senses. 
Verse 8, all things are fully weary, a full weariness. A man cannot utter it. Actually, the, the word for things in the Hebrew is, is also the word for words. So all words are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. So our mouths say the same things over and over again. There's nothing new. Full of weariness, the same things. We talk the same things all the time. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. It sees the same things over and over again. There's, there's, there doesn't seem to be purpose sometimes. Nor the ear filled with hearing. The ear hears the same things. It's just these endless cycles in existence that go on and on. There's this sense in verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. It's just a repetition over and over again. These cycles of existence that repeat. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, don't need to do it again. That's in a sense what the author is saying. The same old problems keep cropping up. They get addressed. They come back again. It's like we're stuck in the Groundhog Day movie along with Bill Murray. February 2nd repeats over and over again. It's the same old, same old, nothing new. What's the point? What's the purpose in all this? Except it isn't fiction. It's reality. Can you relate? Do you ever feel this way? Do you ever see life this way? If not, let me say that you are either unusually blessed or haven't lived long enough or in denial because life is full of this reality for all of us. And that's what Ecclesiastes does. It is brutally honest and and takes us and says, look at this about life. Don't fake it. Don't run from it. Face it. There is this aspect of life where things seem like a vapor. They feel futile. And so how does that help us? How does Ecclesiastes help us? What's it doing? What is it meant to do? How How do we understand Ecclesiastes in such a way that it would be helpful? How do we... How do we handle it? Well, that's what I want to cover now and talk about this section, but also the entire book and how we are taught and instructed to live with uncertainty. So first, we we need to understand that Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. There are books in the Bible and there are sections of books in the Bible that are called wisdom literature. Sections of books uh, like Psalms and the book of James in the New Testament are wisdom literature. Book of Proverbs entirely is wisdom literature. The, the book of Job is wisdom literature. Song of Solomon is a sort of wisdom literature, perhaps uh, under its own category. And of course, Ecclesiastes is part of wisdom literature. Wisdom literature describes for us how to live wisely. And what you'll see in many of the wisdom books, wisdom literature, uh, is there's, there's basically connection between a certain attitude or action and success and a certain attitude and action and failure. That's what wisdom literature does. It says here's the attitude, here's the action that leads to success. Here's the attitude, here's the action that leads to failure. So much of Proverbs is like this. So Proverbs, actually Psalm 1, the wise person meditates on the Word of God and thrives. The foolish person hangs out with troublemakers and fails. That's wisdom literature. Proverbs says the wild child, the wild child, the wise child listens to their parent and has a 
full life. The foolish child ignores their parents and shipwrecks their lives. The Bible is full of this sort of wisdom. And there's great gain in learning it and living it. But it's really important to understand that these are not promises in the sense that there's a guarantee. Wisdom literature does not operate as a promise, but as principles in God's universe. And by and large, things do work the way that wisdom literature teaches us. The person who honors their parents, by and large, will be more successful than the person who discards their parents' wisdom. The person who meditates on the Word of God and abides with the people of God will tend to do better than the person who runs the other way. But they aren't unconditional promises and there are exceptions. And so some of the other books of the Bible help us with this reality that there are exceptions to these principles. It doesn't always work out that way. The book of Job teaches us that sometimes the righteous person who does everything right ends up losing everything, all that is good and meaningful. Sometimes, too often, the world doesn't go the way we're told here. Sometimes we do raise our children in the way they should go and they do depart from it. Sometimes we speak with gracious words and it makes people angry instead of calm. Sometimes we're peacemakers and instead of bringing peace, we get killed for it. Sometimes the blood of the martyrs is not the seed of the church, but the the church fails in light of persecution. Sometimes things seem pretty meaningless and confusing. So what do we do with that reality? That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. This reality that despite the tendency for things to happen certain ways in the rest of wisdom literature, there are exceptions. And if we don't wrestle with those honestly, we can be very confused and very disillusioned. Ecclesiastes faces that reality of those exceptions honestly and leads us to answers. So we need to understand first that this book is part of the wisdom literature. It fits in the whole Bible and in the whole body of wisdom literature. Not meant to be taken out of that context, but coming in alongside the other voices we hear speaking to us as a whole. We want to look as well in the rest of Scripture how Ecclesiastes is understood. Always good, actually, to try to find in the New Testament how the Old Testament is understood. It's an important interpretive key. And so we can look in the New Testament and find references to what's in Ecclesiastes. And it gives us wisdom in how to understand Ecclesiastes. And one important place to go is in Romans chapter 8. Paul uses a word in the middle of this that is taken right from Ecclesiastes. And he teaches in Romans 8 about life and then truth related to Ecclesiastes. So let's, let me read it to you. Chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be real, revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. That's the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes, that's translated vanity. The same word, futility. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul is teaching us here about life in this world, and life amidst the reality of futility. And he says actually that this creation has been subjected to futility. The fall of creation, the fall of mankind, and the effect of sin, and the reality of this broken age is under God's plan. It's part of what we live in. And that's what Paul's acknowledging here. This reality of, of futility. And, and so that's important to get in, in Ecclesiastes and in Romans 8. There is this reality of futility. There's this reality of groaning. Creation itself is groaning, saying, when will things stop being so uncertain and unstable and so broken? And we ourselves as new creations say, when will we have bodies and, and an existence free of sin and free of all this? When will this world be redeemed from sin and evil and brokenness and uncertainty? Oh, when? How long, oh Lord? Later on in chapter 8, Paul is going to say all these wonderful things about how we are secure in the love of God. That He will work for us what is good. That we are predestined to be glorified, made into the image of Christ. And, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. But he says right in the middle of that, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Brothers and sisters, these realities go together. We have promise. We have the reality of the love of God. We have new life. We have forgiveness. But it's in the midst of a broken world full of futility and uncertainty. The Bible doesn't call us to a Pollyanna view of life. It calls us to wisdom. To acknowledge that there's uncertainty and brokenness, but there are some truths that are stronger than that reality. That keep us and guide us and give us hope. There are greater truths. So Romans 8 shows us that, right? Right in the middle where it talks about futility, all around that are all these promises, all these wonderful truths. We have full and free forgiveness for all of our sins in Christ. We are forgiven fully. There's no condemnation for us in Jesus. No condemnation now, no condemnation in the future. We are secure in Him. Even though life is full of futility and we might be regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, we are forgiven. We are no longer condemned. We are free. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. The power of the Spirit in us for new life to, to learn to love God and love one another. The Spirit helps us in our weakness to pray. We have the power and comfort of prayer. We have the guarantee that what God started, He will finish. We have the guarantee of the unshakable, enduring, infinite love of God for us. These truths are greater than the futility that we face. And Ecclesiastes does the same sort of thing. There are parallel promises in Ecclesiastes as well. Now they're given differently. This is the Old Testament. It's wisdom literature. But they are there. So as we go through this book, we will see it. There's a number of places, but just to show you one, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 to 14. This is how the book ends. 
It says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Then this, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Then this, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We read that and we see the word judgment and we tend to think negatively like, oh no, God's going to crush us for our sins. But judgment means both sides of things. Judgment in the Old Testament is a word for what a king does in his reign. So what this means is that the king's full reign is coming and he will judge as king and his judgment will be to punish evil but to reward good. And so judgment, God will bring every deed into judgment means that he will examine every deed, everything you've done in this world full of uncertainty and futility, everything that you've thought and he will bring a kingly judgment on that and for the life that says, I don't care, and life stinks, and I hate people, and so forth, that goes down that path, there will be accountability. But for the life that says, oh Lord, this is so hard, it feels so uncertain, so unstable, that it's so hard, but we look to you, we trust you, help us, oh Lord, sustain us, we look to the end when you will make all things right, to that life there will be reward and blessing. And so judgment God's vindication of the good, God's making everything right, God being in control and bringing it to a conclusion is an important promise in the book of Ecclesiastes. Even though it may feel this way, God is in control, God is aware, and God will reward. Ecclesiastes also brings a slightly different promise to us as well that maybe for many of us, the most important application and the most important promise to learn from Ecclesiastes. We find in Ecclesiastes repeated reminders that God is present in our life, that there are rewards as we practice wisdom. There is beauty and enjoyment and blessing amidst the futility. And that it's right and fitting to celebrate and enjoy these things as we go. So look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, Behold, I have seen to, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift, the gift of God. For he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is repeated throughout Ecclesiastes. And maybe the reason that you and I are unhappy amidst the frustrations and the futility of life is because we're not finding time to stop and smell the roses along the way, so to speak. Maybe you've failed to enjoy the things that God intends to refresh you amidst the toil of life. It is part of worship, actually to appropriately enjoy His blessings. That's part of how God helps us amidst uncertainty through His very real and present blessings. Related to this in Ecclesiastes is a warning lest we think we can control all things. 
In an indirect way, Ecclesiastes teaches us to let go of control and trust God with the outcome of our efforts and our life. You see this throughout the book. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I have perceived that there is nothing better for them to be, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people, so that people fear before him. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who knows the outcome ultimately. We don't. He is the one who is in charge of our lives. We aren't. And part of the message of Ecclesiastes is to stop trying to control things. Stop trying to work your plan and getting all worked out, worked up when your plan does not work out. Trust the Lord and let go. James actually says something very similar and uses a similar word. In chapter 4 of James, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, a vapor. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast is you boast in arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So James is saying the same thing and using the same word, more or less. Mist and vapor. To say, stop thinking you're going to plan all things out and living for that plan. Let go and let God be in control of your life. And enjoy the things along the road. Boy, this speaks to us as Americans, doesn't it? It's all about the goal. It's all about the plan. It's all about getting to that success. And we can drive and drive and drive there and want to control our destinies and ignore the Lord and not have very much fun doing it either. Ecclesiastes comes alongside and says, there's so much that's uncertain. It doesn't mean stop working, but don't hold on to it so tightly. Let go and, and let the Lord be in control. I, I know I struggle with this. I struggle with this reality. I find myself often vacillating between two poles. I'm either like really enthusiastic and zealous, working the plan, everything's going well, this is great, but then I hit a barrier and something happens and, and I retreat into like this all is terrible, I'm a failure, we're a failure, nothing, nothing works out, life is meaningless, let's just forget it all. I tend to go between those two poles and Ecclesiastes comes alongside me and says, well what did you expect? Did you think that life would be easy and predictable and only full of good? Did you expect that your plan would work out exactly as you thought? That every goal you had would be accomplished? Who do you think you are? That's ridiculous. Get used to the reality that there's uncertainty. And that in your work, certainly strive to use your gifts and so forth, but you cannot control what's going to happen the next moment. Learn to trust the Lord. Learn to enjoy the journey. 
with Him as He blesses you. This is the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. This is what this book, I think, will do for us to teach us to to live with uncertainty in a way that is wise and God-honoring. Well, I'm looking forward to this series and to digging into these chapters more and more. I know I need to hear this. I think I'm reading the room right and knowing you guys, you need to hear it because we need to hear these truths. And we live alongside the author of Ecclesiastes in an uncertain world. Yet we have truth to teach us, to sustain us, to lead us in this place of uncertainty. We have promises. We have a perspective that that informs us amidst the pain of life. We need Ecclesiastes. So I want to conclude just by praying and asking God to help us to learn and to change in light of His Word in the book of Ecclesiastes. So let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this book. We thank You for its truths. We thank You for You, Lord, that ultimately what Ecclesiastes is doing is pointing towards what You're doing and how we should orient ourselves. We thank You for the fullness of the counsel of all the Word of God and how we see Ecclesiastes connecting with the rest of wisdom literature and how it connects to places like Romans 8 and James 4 and elsewhere. So teach us, O Lord. Make us more like You. Make us a community that is more like You. Teach us how to honor You, to love You, how to live amidst uncertainty, how to enjoy Your blessings, to let go of control, how to trust You with uncertainty and yet still continue to Use our gifts, but in a humble way. Teach us how to live in hope. That future certainty that you will preside as King over all and you will right every wrong and you will release us from the effects of sin and evil and we will enjoy perfect harmony and fruitfulness in you, the rightful King. Guide us and lead us, we pray. Speak to us. Be here with us as we are before Your Word. Glorify Your name and use us, Lord, because this world needs to hear these sorts of truths. They need to know how to live with uncertainty. They need to know that You are there being honest and frank and yet offering real answers. So equip us to be ambassadors and missionaries in our world that needs to hear these truths. God, produce much fruit through this series. Help us, we pray, at every moment. We need You. and Be glorified through it, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen.